Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. And uh, believe it or not, we're actually going to finish this uh, chapter tonight, and then we'll only have one chapter to go. But I want to back up just a little bit. Back in verse 14, uh, Paul said that the whole law was fulfilled in one word, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And of course, uh, we know he was actually quoting Jesus there from Matthew uh, 22, uh, who said first that love was the fulfilling of the law. Thus, if I'm walking in the Spirit, which is synonymous with walking in love, then there is no law that regulates my life. The law is for those who are lawless, is what the Bible says. It's for those who are unprincipled, who walk in their flesh. That's who the law was made for. In fact, when Paul wrote to, uh, to his first epistle to Timothy, if you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to read it for you. It's 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. And here's what he said to young Pastor Timothy. He says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, and for them that defile themselves with mankind, for man-stealers and for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing, and that, that's interesting he says that there, if there be any other thing. So it's not an exhaustive list. You know, it's like anything it even looks like. As he said, that is contrary to sound doctrine. That's who the law was for. So if a person is living by godly principles, he doesn't need the law. We don't need a, a list of rules and regulations to tell us what to do. In fact, he doesn't even benefit from it, really. There, there just was no need for it if you're walking according to godly principles. When you think of the law, think of it as a, a bridle, you know, in a, in a horse's mouth. And it's to restrain bad actions, ungodly actions. That's what the law was for. So likewise, the law is to restrain unprincipled actions from people who live unprincipled lives, people who walk in the flesh. It's not hard. I mean, this is a pretty simple understanding, but so many people miss it. But those who walk in love, especially those who love Jesus, was talking um, about there in Matthew, which is the, the love of God and the love of your fellow man. That's the love he was talking about. The law is unnecessary to those who walk in that. Because if, the, if our love of God is supreme and we're loving our neighbors ourselves, I mean, it's such a simple concept when you think about it. If you really care that much about God and you really care that much about your fellow man, you're not going to murder him. You're not going to kill him. You're not going to do any of those things that would be considered evil or sin. It just isn't going to happen. When God, you know, it, it made me think back when you, when you go back to the book of Genesis and the story of Cain and Abel. You all know the story. You know, Cain was a type of man who wanted to be accepted by God on his own terms. He demanded to be accepted by God on his own terms. Thus, what he offered to God was the works of his own hands, his own labor. And when God wouldn't accept it, he got upset. He was very, very angry because Abel, and this is, of course, long before the law was given, and when Abel offered a sacrifice, it was accepted. Why? Because he gave it out of love for God, out of his commitment to the Lord. And it was accepted. But Cain was all 
irritated and got angry. And there in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, here's what the Lord said unto him. He said, the Lord said unto Cain, why aren't you wroth? How come you're upset? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, or if you do what's right, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. So he pretty, you know, the, the common sense or the godly common sense thing is, well, if you're doing what's right, who's going to, you know, who's going to be against that? You know, the law is not for the law full, but for the law less is what he's saying. But this was long before the law was even given. So it's just a matter of doing what's right and doing what's wrong, but it's according to our love for God and as far as walking in the Spirit is. When you read the law, the law is actually saying, if you, if you had to nail it down, which is what Jesus did, what's it saying? The law says that we should love God above everything else. Jesus said it, and he said it this way. If you don't love father, mother, sister, or brother, he went on and on, you know, more than me, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. And some people have a hard time with that. But our love of God, to think about it, if your love for God is supreme, then in reality, you're going to love your mother the way she should be loved. You're going to love your wife. So what Jesus was saying was that our love for God should be supreme above all things. And then if that's the case, then the law is fulfilled. It's already taken care of. Look at verse 15. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So when these Judaizers were trying to lead these young Christians astray by bringing them back under the law, it was inevitable that they would cause divisions and confusion among the brethren, which is what they were doing. And some of them had raised accusations even against the Apostle Paul uh, himself. So Paul told them to take heed you know, when they're biting and devouring one another over this issue, that they not wind up consuming each other or destroying each other. So his admonition was walk in the Spirit. When we walk in the Spirit, we're not consumed by the things of the flesh. You know, there's a, walking in the Spirit is synonymous with walking in supreme love of God and with your fellow man. When my focus is on Jesus, I used to love my old assistant, Pastor Bill, because he, the crux of his teaching, every time he would teach, it was always, what am I focused on? If you're focused on Jesus Christ, you're going to reflect what it is that you're focused on. And I always agreed with that. I mean, because it just makes sense. Whatever my main focus is on, I want to focus on the things that are good, which he told, remember Paul told Timothy, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are, you know, think or meditate on these things. Those are the things, why? Because those are the things that remind me of Jesus Christ. So, when Jesus is the object of my supreme love, then the things of this world grow you know, strangely dim, the song says, in the light of his glory and grace. It doesn't really have that much appeal to me. Uh, and there's no doubt we all have moments, but we'll talk about that here in a minute. Look at verse 17. He says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But of course... This is the rub, as we talked about Sunday. You know, verse 70, for even when I am walking in the Spirit, there's a battle that's being waged in every believer's life. It's a battle of masteries. What am I going to be mastered by? You know, before a person is born again, they're totally unaware of that battle. There is no battle for a person who's not born again. Their spirit is dead. 
They do not understand those things. Everything they do is sin. I remember years ago, hasn't, well, it hasn't been that many years ago, but it's been a few. I was actually sitting in my study with a, an older gentleman. And we were talking about this very issue, about what is sin. And I says, well, the Bible says the breaking of the law is sin, but in reality, according to Romans 14, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. I said, therefore, an unbeliever, even the good that they would do is counted as sin in the sight of God because nothing they do is done by faith. And he had a real hard time with that. He said, well, you, are you telling me that all the, you know, the, the, he named off a bunch of philanthropists that you know, do good and wonderful things. I'm going, well, in a worldly sense, they're good. But what did God say about them? If it's not by faith, then it is counted as sin. You know, there was an old song many years ago when I was pastoring the first church. Uh, man, I was a young man back then. I was in my 20s. And that was when uh, the, uh, the, the whole bunch of the secular artists got together and they put that song together, We Are the World. Does anybody remember that? You know, we are the world. And of course, I, I couldn't help it. I, I made a pun about it. And I used to say, we are the squirrels. And uh, you know, because squirrels do what squirrels do, they run to and fro. In their mind, what they were doing was good. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to feed people. Sure, it's okay to do that. You know, Jesus even asked, when's it right to do something good on the Sabbath? Well, it's always right to do something good. But how does God see it? That's the question that we're asking. Well, if it's not done in faith, then it's counted as sin. What did you remember in Matthew chapter 7? And I know I quote it a lot, but I think Christians need to hear it a lot now. Jesus said, in that day, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord. Didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name do many wonderful works. And he says, and I will say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So even the good things that they had done was counted as iniquity. Why? Because they wasn't done in faith. Jesus didn't know them. So you have to be concerned about that I mean, as far as when people are doing philanthropy what's my motivation for that you know the lust is warring against the spirit the spirit these these are two are, are contrary you know but when a person's born again everything they do is generated by our faith in christ just like when the world does something it, none of it's generated by faith but when a believer does something it is generated by faith so look at Romans. I mean, you don't have to turn. I'm just going to read it for you. Romans 14, 23. He says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So everything we do must be done by faith. And it is if you're a child of God. But if you're not, it's not. So Paul makes it clear here, like I said, whosoever, you know, what is not of faith is sin. Because an unregenerated person does not do anything by faith. You remember 1 Corinthians. You know, he says that the unregenerated man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. But he the spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is judged by no man. There's an interesting quote that I was reminded of when I was putting this uh, uh, study together, uh, by of all people sitting bull. And here's what he said. And he had some really cool insight, I thought, that was pertinent to, to the study. And here's what sitting bull said. He said, inside of me there are two dogs, one is mean and evil, and the other is good. And they fight each other all the time. When asked which one wins, I answer, the one I feed the most. 
that makes sense. And it's biblical. Now, where he's still with the Lord, I have no idea. But what he said is true. It's very true. So in all that we do for the Lord, let it be done out of our genuine love for Christ. Feed that the most. You know, feed what it is that, 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 that glorifies Jesus Christ. You know, whatever you do in word or deed, the Bible says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do all to his glory. And as I walk in that, you know, then I'm walking in love. I'm walking in the Spirit. But he also said, do nothing for vain glory. You know, because so often we can fall into that category. Doing stuff to hear somebody pat us on the back. You know, that, that's, that's scary. Because, look at verse 18. But if you be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Okay, take note of these. Paul's going to give us what it looks like to walk in the flesh. Here is the, once again, you're going to see, not an exhaustive list. He just kind of hits the highlights. But what's he say? Here's what it looks like to walk in the flesh. It's, the word manifest here, of course, is made seen. Adultery. Fornication uncleanness he's talking about uh, sexual uncleanness lasciviousness idolatry witchcraft which is interesting here because this comes from the Greek word pharmakia and it's where we get the word pharmacy from and it really means drug abuse a lot of people think why would he have coined that to, to witchcraft because if you go back and study sorcery or witchcraft back then drugs were often used in the, in the pursuit of that. So, and, and to put it in it's something that's understandable today, we were talking about this, I think, in our last study, where the world now comes along and they go, oh, well, drug abuse, no, that's, see, that's a disease. That's a disease, see. And drunkenness is a disease. We're going to see that here in a moment. Well, the world says that because what they're saying under their breath is God's not fair. What they're saying is God is unjust. Because God has condemned these things. Look what he says. He says witchcraft, of course, like I said, which is drug abuse, hatred, variance. I, I, I encourage you, we don't have time tonight, but go back and study these words one at a time. Emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murder, which includes, gang, abortion. You know, we were talking here, uh, me and somebody else was talking in the fellowship uh, the other day. And a lady had stated that uh, she didn't have a problem with it because she was a Methodist. And I'll die a Methodist, she said. This was an 80-year-old woman. But yet she thought abortion was okay. And I'm going, listen to me. Jesus, let me tell you what Jesus said, not Doug Copen. Jesus said, it would be better for a man to have never been born and for a millstone to be tied around his neck and to be cast into the ocean than to make one of these little ones who love me to stumble. Now think about that. That's just if you make one stumble. How do you think that Jesus will look upon those who willingly murder the innocent for the sins of the guilty? You know, one of the stupidest things I've ever heard, I, 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 of course, when I was doing live radio and uh, this subject came up a lot, and one of the arguments you hear made, and don't fall for this, gang. You know, whether you're sitting here or listening by radio, never fall for this argument. Because a very famous man, I'm not going to throw his name out there tonight because he's home with the Lord now, but he said it, it was stupid, he shouldn't have said it, but he did. And the argument was this. 
Well, in the case of incest or rape. I, and here's what I've always said, because just as a common sense thing, I said, oh, so now we kill the innocent for the sin or for the crime of the guilty. Since when in the history of mankind has that ever been okay? That you would kill somebody who's innocent. Oh, but their life is going to be, yeah, really? Why don't you try letting God decide what he wants to do with a broken life? or with a life that maybe started off maybe not as good as what yours did. Man, there's been all kinds of people who show the glory of God in their lives, whose childhoods were miserable, but yet God raised them up and used them in great means. Read some of the great evangelists that have lived during you know, the time of the church history. And I won't name them tonight, but I could. So that's their argument. Well, you know, if it was according to this, then murder's okay then killing the innocents all right. No, it's not. God said murder. What's he say about it? Drunkenness, he adds to that. Once again, the world says, well, it's a sickness. It's an illness, a disease. Well, if it is, it's the only self-inflicted one that I know of. Do you realize you will never be a drunk if you never drink? It's that simple. You'll never be an alcoholic if you don't drink. But you certainly can get cancer and never ask for it. You can be born with diabetes. Those are diseases. Those are things you have no control over. But drunkenness, absolutely you have control over that. Drug abuse, you got control over that. Never touch it, you'll never have a problem. We talked a little bit about that last time. So he goes on, you know, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So Paul's saying, if I missed anything... If, if it even comes into this category, if it even looks like this, he said, which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things, underline it, gang, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't write it. That's what it says. So walking in the Spirit removes the obstacle of the law because Paul, this list that he just gave, which is not exhaustive, as I said before, is the earmarks of someone who is not walking in the spirit, someone who's walking in the flesh. Certain things that are obviously not the byproduct of a person who's walking in the spirit is the things we just looked at. Today there's a great schism occurring in the body of Christ, especially in mainline denominations. The Episcopal Church, Lutherans, Presbyterians, and of course now the United Methodists you know, have all given in to saying that walking in the flesh is actually a part of the born-again experience. It's not contrary to it. No, no. Now it's actually a part of it. This is what they're saying. You can live a life that is contrary to the things that God just told us is, is the earmarks of walking in the flesh. They're saying you can actually walk in that and be a Christian and be saved and enjoy the kingdom of God when it comes. Therefore, they affirm such things as homosexuality. They affirm the mentally confused a sinner who's a, so such as transgenderism. And I know I'm probably hearing radios being turned off right now. I don't care. Listen to me. It's a mental disease. It's always been listed as a mental disease. But more than that, in the, in the biblical sense, it's actually a sin. Why? Go back to the Old Testament. Because what it says is a man shall not wear that which pertains to a woman and a woman shall not wear that which pertains to a man. No, ladies, it doesn't mean you can't wear pants. It's not what he's talking about. 
what he's talking about is trying to appear to be something that you are not. You understand? So dressing up like a woman, looking like a woman, portraying yourself as a woman when you're really a man is a sin in the sight of God. And why? Because the Bible says this is confusion. There's actually been people murdered who presented themselves as a woman to somebody who was a man that when he found out at the wrong time, now granted they shouldn't have been doing what they were doing, but when he found out, somebody died. Why? Because it was confusion. And people were led into that. But now they affirm that. Now they'll actually ordain you. And you too can stand behind a pulpit in one of their churches and sit and tell people that it's absolutely okay that you're living with the same sex or whatever the case may be. And it's not. It's not what the Word of God says. We just read it. I'm not reading into it. That's why we do expository teaching. We're not reading into it. We're simply taking it for what it says. Paul gave us a great picture of what walking in the flesh actually looks like. And it's not pretty. Take note of the fact that he said, and such like, like I mentioned just a moment ago. Which means this list is not exhaustive. It's not everything that, that was, you know, that's, that's evil. It's just not. Also make note of the fact that when Paul gives his list here of the, the things of the flesh, the things that are sinful, the things that will not inherit the kingdom of God, that the word, uh, well, we, we talked about, you know, the world tries to call a disease, but in reality they're byproducts of a lost soul. He uses the term, the works of the flesh. It's a plural term. You saw that. But he's going to say here in a minute that the work or the fruit of the Spirit, you know, is love, peace. And we're going to see that here in a second. But it's a, it's a singular thing. It's not a multi thing. But before we move on to that, I want to point out one thing here, which I think is interesting. He uses the word heresy here. He says that heresies are one of those things that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I really thought about that. It was like, why would that be included? I mean, it, that's interesting to me. And I understand why heresy is bad. But why? And I think, why is it a work of the flesh? That's really what I was trying to figure out. And, and I think what it boils down to is because most heretical teaching can be, when you, when you research it, will be go, it'll all go back to one particular man or woman who started it. And when they started it, it gave them a lot of attention. It drew attention to them. And any time we're drawing attention to ourself, that's a work of the flesh. That's something that a lot of people, they desire. You know? And I hate to say it, but that's what drives a lot of people to go into the ministry. Because they seek attention. They... You could even put that into terms of, of entertainers. And of course, I, I'm a musician. I was an entertainer for years. And I've had people ask me, what was my motivation for going into music? And it absolutely was my flesh. Uh, my brother was one of the first musicians in my family, and I noticed that when everybody would come around, who'd they pay attention to? They paid attention to Danny. Why? Because he was very talented. And he played well, he wrote well, he sang well. And... Uh, I thought, yeah, that's what I got to do. So I need to learn to play guitar. <laughs> I need to learn to sing, and I need to learn to, and that's what I spent most of my time doing. Of course, before I knew the Lord. The problem is, is after I came to Christ, one of my first things that I wanted to do was just give it up. And I did for almost five years. I quit playing altogether because I knew the only reason I did it was for attention. 
because I wanted to hear people say, wow, man, you're good. Wow, man. You know, you're, you're, you're this and you're that. Why? My flesh loves that stuff. Your flesh loves it. Who doesn't like to be patted on the back? I'm not saying that a compliment is necessarily bad. But when that's what you're seeking, you know, when you're seeking to hear those accolades from people, that, that's a problem. And I've had more than one guy in the ministry tell me that the reason they went into the ministry was because they were looking for respect. And I was going, hmm. The world <laughs> almost never gives any respect. You know, it's just crazy. Paul gives some pretty strong language when he speaks to those who want to live after the flesh. But you need to take note that these things will exclude and be excluded from the kingdom of God. That list back there that he gave us. You know, common sense dictates that if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, then you cannot allow yourself to be dominated by the flesh or to look for accolades or to look for praise or the respect or whatever that fleshly, vainglorious thing is. You know, if God decides to use you in that kind of a way, well, then praise the Lord, you know. But don't seek it and don't think that you have to try to keep it. That's what always bugs me about guys who are in the ministry, to be honest with you. It's not a criticism. It's just an observation because so many of them, can't even, they'll do anything to hang on to a title. I, I know you guys probably don't know this, but I know too many pastors. I've seen too many of them. You know, they'll watch their fellowships dwindle down to where there's four or five people in them, and they'll continue to do it. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but the reason that they do it is because they want to hear somebody call them pastor. Now, I don't, you know, I'm okay with that to a point, but it's not a title. And so often people think it is. It's not a title. I'm okay when people call that to me. I'm not cringing underneath my skin or anything, but I don't require it. And so often people do require it. I ran into a guy one time many years ago. I was actually playing at his church, and when they introduced me to him, uh, I was, he was introduced. As, you know, his name was Randy Lanham. Um, and I said, hey, brother, you know how you do? He goes, that's Pastor Lanham. So later on that evening when I got up to play, I have to admit I'm a little rebellious in that area. The Lord hasn't really cured me of that yet. So when I got up, I said, I'd like to thank Randy for having me come and play. I did, you know, I, and I probably should have, but I just, I couldn't help it because I thought, man, how arrogant do you got to be that you, that you require that of somebody, you know? That's nuts. That's nuts. I remember even first a Calvary guy I went to go meet, and I won't give his name, but he pastors a huge church. And, and I went there to have a meeting with him, and out of respect, I says, hey, you know, Pastor so-and-so is good to meet. He goes, is that where we're at now? I said, what do you mean? He goes, so we have to call each other by a title? I said, I stand corrected. But I was a young minister, you know, and he was right. So it's not a title. It's seeking. It's vainglorious things, you know. No, it, it, call me anything. Just don't call me late for dinner, you know. I, I'm, <laughs> you know, so it, it, I'm good with it. You know, my mother called me Dougie. All my closest friends call me that. And, uh, you know, I'm good with that. So, but anyway, you know, that's common sense. Of course, Paul, when he wrote to Timothy in his first epistle, as we read earlier, he gave a list of these fleshly things, these sinful things. But John, you know, John the Revelator, John, you know, who wrote the book of Revelation. He also gave a list in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, and, he, and here's what he said about those things. He said, God hates these things, and he, he gave it in verse 7 here in 21. He says, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. 
and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there in verse 20, or chapter 22, verse 15, he says, for without, outside, that is, are dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. So there's plenty of things. People say, well, God doesn't hate. Well, there's plenty of things that God hates. Read your Bible, you know. But he loves it when people come to him in, you know, seeking grace and seeking mercy. That's what God's looking for. I, I remember reading when we were looking at the issue of these things here in Matthew, or I mean in Galatians 5.19, the list of the works of the flesh. One thing I do want to make clear, because a lot of people get confused about this, because Paul's writing to believers, okay, and he gives this list of what the flesh looks like. What he's not saying is that a brother or sister who has been involved in these things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying. What he's not saying is that a person who struggles in these things is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is a person who deems these things to be okay. It's a part of their life. Any Christian can fall into a pig pen, but only a pig's at home in it. And so when a person tells me that they're a child of God, when a person tells me that they're genuinely born again, and yet they're okay with these things, and they not only are okay with it, but they admire people who do these things. Man, listen to me. I realize that only God can determine, and God is the only one who knows genuinely who's born again and who isn't born again. But I heard Pastor Chuck say this one time. I agree with him. When your life is a total contradiction to the things that you say that you believe, it's only reasonable that people are going to question whether you're saved or not. Because you're, it, it, from, from the outside, it looks like you're walking in the flesh. And Paul says, these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So walk in the Spirit. You know, so he's not talking about a brother or sister who's, who's struggling in these things. Because sometimes you will struggle. Some brothers and sisters do. But you will overcome. You will. We absolutely affirm and believe in the perseverance of the saints. They will persevere because God is the one who's upholding you. So just keep that in mind. Look at verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith. Excuse me, meekness. I did a temperance against such there is no law. So this is the contrast to it. What's it look like to walk as a mature Christian? Exactly what Paul just said. Like I, mo I mentioned a little bit ago, when you look at the works of the flesh, he says works, it's plural. But when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's singular. But yet it has many aspects. One thing you need to understand about the fruit of the Spirit is that it's supernatural. It's a supernatural byproduct. And it's nothing that you have to work at. And so often people say, well, I need to work at being meek. I need to work a bit. No, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Listen, nobody has ever walked through an orchard and heard trees groaning and struggling to produce fruit. Nobody's ever sat underneath of a peach tree and all of a sudden heard a peach tree go, Ugh! and all of a sudden the peach goes, poof, and it has fuzz, 
It doesn't work like that. They produce fruit very naturally. And a Christian produces the fruit of the Spirit supernaturally. It's just a, it's a supernatural byproduct of, of where, where you are in Christ. You know, because why? It's what you're focused on the most. What are you focused on? Who, what are you feeding the most? Which dog are you feeding? You know? And if you're feeding that spiritual one, then, well, then that's the one that's going to grow the most. It's a natural occurrence as far as fruit goes. It's a supernatural occurrence as far as the fruit of the Spirit goes. Most of these things are obviously self-explanatory. I encourage you to go back and look at those words one at a time. There isn't one of them that any reasonable person would look at and go, yeah, that's bad. You know, all the fruit of the Spirit is good because it's everything that represents and shows us the attitude in the person of Jesus Christ. Even when you look at the things that Paul told Timothy to meditate on, they're really just the things that remind me of Jesus. Richie Foray, who happens to be a friend of mine and a great musician, two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, and a pastor, you know, pastors of Calvary Chapel. But I remember Richie wrote a, a, he did an album years ago, and it was called In My Father's House. And one of the songs was about that passage. And it was the, the thing that gave me the insight because he said, when I'm meditating on these things, you know, the things that are good, what sort of things are good, everything in that is a list of what Jesus is. It reminds me, it focuses me right back on Jesus Christ. And that's always a good thing. When we're walking in love, walking in the Spirit, and this fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives, there is no law. We just don't need it. It wasn't necessary. The law, as we read before, simply was given in order to restrain evil in the world, but it was also given to bring us to Christ, to show us the Savior, to show us our need for the Savior, but to bring us to Christ. You just don't need it because everything in this, as far as the fruit of the Spirit, is a glorification of God. Look at verse 24. And they that are Christ have, that's a present tense, you notice, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. So you remember back in chapter 2, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In Romans 6, 6, he says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Uh, 6.11. Likewise, he says, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So they that are Christ have, have crucified the flesh. It is something that is already done. I heard a guy one time trying to explain. He said, you know, we have to nail ourselves to the cross. This is the way he was trying to explain it. Of course, I was, I was an analyst. Most of you know that. I'm, I'm, you know, I think critically. I don't mean in a bad way, but I, I think critically. And I'm going... How would you nail yourself to a cross? Uh, first off, that would be pretty painful. And you'd only have one hand. You'd only get half the job done. But if it's done in Christ, then it's all done. Because Jesus did it for you. You know, we are in Christ. And when we are in Christ, everything that is him, everything he's done for us is imputed to us by faith alone. 
So even his crucifixion, his baptism, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the fact that he sits at the right hand, this is all given to you by faith alone. That's walking in the spirit. That's walking in maturity. So we have been crucified with Christ. We are in him. Like Paul said, I'm dead, but yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. These legalists, as we close up, these Judaizers, these propagators of heresy, were simply looking to build themselves up as something, wanting people to look at them, trying to draw a following to themselves. Every time I see someone doing something on Facebook, feeding the poor, maybe you've seen this, they'll have guys, you know, and they're giving them money or they're giving them food. They'll, they'll actually, one guy was actually posted where he went into McDonald's and he bought a whole bunch of burgers and fries and then they filmed him going out, passing them out to the poor people. I'm glad for the poor people, but I was scared for him because what is that? Oh, hallelujah to me. See how righteous I am. See how good I am. I'm giving away food. And he, he so wanted to be seen as someone who was righteous. You know, there was a couple in the Bible who wanted to be seen as righteous. Called them Ananias and Sapphira. You remember how how'd that work out for them? Not too well. You know, so once again, it's crazy when you see people doing that kind of stuff. So they, once again, don't walk around with a film crew when you're trying to do good. You know, Jesus said, never let your right hand know what your left hand does. If you're going to do it for the Lord, just do it. You know, you don't have to have somebody pat you on the back. You know, you don't need that. Don't seek vain glory, wanting the adoration of men. And when they do, most people are ignorant. I'll close with this. And I thought about this, really, you know. When you, when you seek the adoration of people, here's what you're missing. We're people, and people are people. I told a lady yesterday it was in our home. I said, there's two things in this world you can absolutely count on. And I'm not talking about Jesus. Obviously, you can, talk, you can count on Jesus. I'm talking about things in this world. One is physics. I know that because I worked in the science field most of my life. I love physics because physics is always true. And the other one is human nature. That's the other one you can count on. And people are people, and we're all people. So when you seek the adoration of men, here's the problem with it. People are fickle. Maybe you found this out. People can be fickle. And if you ever question that, I want you to, even if you're not a sports nut, watch sports one time. And of course, we, we got a great baseball player in our midst. Listen to me. One of these days, you can be doing the best that you can. You could be the guy who's bringing them right to the championship. But you drop that ball and you lose that championship at that end game, you're going to find out how fickle people can be. Am I right? You know I'm right. That's why you never want to listen. One minute people can love you, and the next minute they can hate your guts. That's why what you want to do is walk in the Spirit, which is walking in the maturity of Christ, and do what you do for the Lord. And you know what? Some people are going to love you for it. Some people will hate you no matter what you do, whether it's good or bad. President Trump could attest to that. You know? Here's a guy who's really, and I'm not saying one way or the other because I have my opinion, but I know one thing he has done. He's created less murders of innocent children than any president, any claiming Christian president. He's done more for the nation of Israel, which I'm a little partial to, than any sitting, believing Christian. 
president. He's done more for the country than any man I've ever seen. And yet everything he does, be it spiritual or non-spiritual, is almost attacked on a daily basis. And he's the only president that I know of in history who's done it for free and never taken a dime and yet receives nothing but seemingly evil communication. But he's no different from any other man because people are people. And I'm sure he's not seeking the adoration of men because if he was, it ain't working. (laughs) It ain't working. No, it ain't working at all. So let's not do that either. And Paul tells us, walk in the Spirit. You know, let the fruit of the Spirit be what guides us. And that's a supernatural thing. Just let it happen, you know. And how's that, how you do that? Focus on Jesus. Whatever you focus on the most is what's going to be present in your life the most. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the fruit of the Spirit, Lord Father, which is this byproduct, Lord Father, of us simply resting in you. Lord, we ask that you be with those who will hear this uh, message, Lord Father, and be encouraged in your word to just give their life to you, Father, and if they haven't, and if they have, Lord Father, that they will embrace your word and actually walk in courage, Lord Father, to put it in action in their life. We love you so much. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.